0: This is The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. David is the senior pastor of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona.
1: We know, gang, that evil men lurk outside the walls of the church. I'm not talking about the brick and mortar. I'm talking about outside the body of believers. There are evil men there always. It's the world that we live in. That's why events take place because evil men lurk everywhere. We are in a fallen world, and evil men will do evil things continually.
0: It's easy to watch the news and become discouraged. It seems that no matter where we turn, there's bad news murders, wars, people dying of starvation. When we see these things, it's not hard to begin questioning God. Why are you allowing these things to happen, God? Today we'll learn that God cannot be blamed for the terrible things that take place in this world. In fact, those that are and will continue to reject God are the ones to be blamed. Those choosing to walk in opposition to God's Word. Let's join Pastor David in the book of Jude, chapter 1, for part 1 of our message entitled... Enoch's warning.
1: We've been in the study for a while and as we've looked at this study we know that what Jude is writing about is the warnings that come The warnings that he needs to give to the body of Christ because of the men that were going to be creeping in to the fellowship. You all know the story of the three little pigs, right? You've probably heard that since you were a child. The three little pigs, one built a house of straw, one built a house of sticks, one built a house of brick. And the big bad wolf came and he huffed and he puffed and he... Tried to blow all the houses down. Remember, he was able to blow the house of straw down. He was able to blow the house of sticks down. But he wasn't able to blow the house of brick down. Why? Because it was a firm structure. Our hope, our our faith needs to be based on the firmness and the fullness and the truth of God's Word. Beloved, if your faith is based on anything else other than the truth of God's Word, guess what? The wolf is going to come by and he's going to huff and puff and blow your faith down. And he's going to bring you in every direction you thought you couldn't go because you don't have that stability. Jude comes in and he warns, hey, make sure that you know what you believe, you know why you believe it. He told him that these men were already lurking inside the church walls He speaks of an enemy that was already among them, up in verse 4, and I know that we've gone through this, but I want to bring you back up to speed once again. He says in verse 4 that certain men crept in unnoticed, which long ago were marked out for condemnation. They're ungodly men. They turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. To be able to help the church, to be able to understand the wickedness and the danger of these men, Jude goes on to compare them with some historical characters, some events and examples that took place in the Old Testament. In verse 5, he speaks about the children of Israel. The children of Israel, all that were saved out of Egypt, and yet many of them died in the wilderness. Why? Because of unbelief. And then in verse 6, he speaks about the angels, the angels of God who were created by God, and yet a great portion of them who became disobedient to their place. They became disobedient to the position and to the calling that God had in their life. And it says that God has now reserved them in darkness until the final day of judgment. In verse 7, he recalls the events of Sodom and Gomorrah. And now the people of Sodom and Gomorrah had given themselves totally over to gross sexual immorality. And he says that already they are suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. And I believe that he spoke of these not even so much as the exact sin or the particular sin of each one of these categories, but primarily for us as a reminder that God does and God will bring judgment on all unbelief, on all disobedience, and on all immorality. God will not be mocked. Jude continues on, and in verse 8 through 10, he speaks about the irreverence and the self-indulgence of those that had come in to destroy the fellowship of believers. Then down in verse 11, he uses other example of Old Testament events. He shows the church what kind of men, what kind of evil they had within them. In Jude 11, he says, Oh, woe to them! And then he goes on to speak that they're like Cain. And with Cain, we see this envious, this impulsive, this murderous spirit. He says, woe to them. And he says, they're they're like Balaam. And with Balaam, we saw one that was covetous, one that was materialistic. He says, woe to them because they're like Korah and the rebellion that Korah brought up. With Korah, he had attempted this coup against Moses, showing himself to be one that was rebellious, one that was so self-focused. All of these added together, speak of the blackness, speak of the grossness of the hearts of those that would come in to deceive the body of Christ. They're ungodly men, Jude says, who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and they deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. If we were to put all of those together, we'd see that These men were men who were unbelieving, they were disobedient, they were immoral, they were irreverent, they were self-indulgent, they were envious and impulsive, they were covetous and materialistic, they were rebellious and self-focused. Not much of a resume, is it? And you, you you know that these guys didn't go into the church and say, oh, by the way, this is who I am, this is what I am, and, and I just want to let you know at the very beginning. No, Jude says these guys came in, they crept in unnoticed. And all of this going on within a fellowship of believers not more than 40 years since the resurrection of Christ. A lot of folks would look at this and look at the situation of the church in those early days and they could declare, man, the church was a flop. That the message of the gospel was, was a failure. That the resurrection was actually powerless. But I want to tell you this morning, I believe that this story actually proves that there is power in the resurrection. I believe that it demonstrates this continuous life changing effect of the gospel. I believe that it shows that the church has continued to survive, even though this full-on frontal attack has been by the enemy since the very inception of the church, and it even continues today, but yet the church continues. Beloved, the gospel is true. There is power in the resurrection, and the church still stands strong. One of the things that we've seen historically, every time that the church goes through massive trials great persecutions, that the church emerges from that more pure, more direct, and more powerful than it had been. We in our nation, we haven't had those kinds of trials. We haven't had that kind of persecution. And I believe we as a nation, as the church within the Western cultures, we're not the power that we could be. And that we see in many churches and places under great duress because they claim the name of Christ. Words that Jude gives us in the midst of this are very similar to words that Paul wrote to Timothy, this young pastor. And he writes to Timothy, and you would think, okay, Timothy's a young pastor, and so Paul's going to write to him a great word of encouragement, but if you'd turn back uh, just actually uh, about halfway through your new testament to the book of second timothy chapter 3 i want you to listen to the words of encouragement that paul gives to timothy in second timothy chapter 3 beginning in verse 1 these are paul's encouraging words he says but know this that in the last days perilous times are going to come in other words he's saying wake up don't slumber don't sleep Understand, an attack is going to come. He says men are going to be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. They'll have a form of godliness, but they'll deny its power. From such people turn away. Verse six, he says, for of this sort are those who creep into the households and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning, never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And as verse eight tells us, there were men of corrupt minds. They were disapproved concerning the faith. Still there in second Timothy down in verse 13. Timothy or Paul says that these evil men, these imposters, they'll grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. We know, gang, that evil men lurk outside the walls of the church. I'm not talking about the brick and mortar. I'm talking about outside the body of believers. There are evil men there always. It's the world that we live in. That's why events take place, because evil men lurk everywhere. We are in a fallen world, and evil men will do evil things continually. We should not be surprised when these kinds of things happen, even as horrific of an event as what happened in Boston. We shouldn't be surprised by that because that is the work of evil men working within a fallen world. Saddening, as heartbreaking as it is to hear of uh, those that were seriously injured, those that are still hospitalized, and those whose lives have been taken. A 23-year-old graduate student, Liu Lingxi from China, was here a graduate student at Boston University studying business, finances, and statistics. A real enemy of those who set the bombs, right? No. She was there just watching watching the marathon. Another one, Crystal Campbell from Medford, Massachusetts. She loved the marathon and often would come on that day near the finish line just to watch the finish of the marathon. And that day was the last day that she'll see the marathon. And then we can't help but remember young Martin Richard living there in Boston, Massachusetts, an eight-year-old third grader. Young guy that one of his neighbors described him as a very active, very normal American kid and yet lost his life because evil was at work in the world. Shouldn't take us by surprise that evil works continuously in this world, but neither should it take us by surprise when that very same heart of evil, that evil spirit finds its way within the activities of the church. It's been happening since the first century, and it still happens today. For the first century believers, they would find a real place of refuge in what was called their, their times of koinonia, their times of fellowship. We've got the building out there. We call it the koinonia building. That's a Greek word that means fellowship or communion together. For them, as they came to these times of communion, it was a time of fellowship, a time of friendship, time of sharing their hearts and sharing meals together. They'd gather together, they'd speak about the Lord and and all of his blessings, they'd sing praise to him. They would pray, they would encourage each other. There were times even that they would come together and, and, and in those times they would break bread together and drink from the cup, sharing at the Lord's table. And these were called agape fests or love fests together remembering, together celebrating. The unfortunate thing is these evil men that have crept into the churches. Jude says that they've even found their way into these agape fests, even into these love fests. In verse 12, back in Jude, Jude says these are spots, speaking of these men, that have crept into the fellowships. These with ulterior motives. They've crept into the love feasts. There's spots in your love feast while you while they feast with you without fear serving only themselves their clouds without water carried about by the winds their late autumn trees without any fruit twice dead pulled up by the roots their raging waves of the sea foaming up their own shame their wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. It's one thing interesting as, as you read Jude. He uses such descriptive language. There, there's there's no doubt about what he's trying to, again, get into the hearts and the minds of the church that day, in those days as he writes to them. He was trying to help them to understand more and more about the wickedness of those that have come into the fellowship. And even when we read here in Jude, at least in the uh, King James and in the uh, New King James Version, it says that these are spots. But the word that he uses is actually better understood to be these are rocks or even hidden reefs under the sea. A.T. Barnes, a uh, Bible uh, teacher and commentator, writes these words, that the idea here seems to be that they were like hidden rocks to the mariner. As those rocks were the cause of shipwreck, and, uh, and so these false teachers, they caused others to make shipwreck of their faith. They were as dangerous in the church as hidden rocks are in the ocean. They're just there lurking and they're going to cause shipwreck. Whenever Jude declares that they feast with you without fear, they're serving only themselves. Even again, that, that word of serving only themselves, it means that they're caring only about their own needs. They're feeding only themselves. They care not about the needs of anyone else. They come with their own agenda. Jude continues on to describe these men. Now with four illustrations from the natural world. He used illustrations biblically from the Old Testament. Now he shows them, he describes them according to the natural world. He says that they're clouds without water. He says that they're late autumn trees. He says that they're raging waves of the sea. They're wandering stars. Here in the desert southwest, we know what it's like to have clouds without water, don't we? We we anticipate the clouds during the summer. We, we pray for the clouds. We beg for the clouds. And suddenly we see out on the horizon clouds form, and we think, oh, great, a little bit of break from this dryness of the summer heat. And then those clouds just blow on by and give us absolutely nothing. That's what he's saying about these, that they bring nothing of value. They leave only frustration and hopelessness. These men, they come in, and and we might feel that perhaps these are those that are mature. Perhaps they're able to assist. Maybe they're able to build up the ministry of the church. But what appears to be the possibility of nurturing, the possibility of goodness, only leaves the church with unmet expectations. They're in the fellowship, but they do absolutely no service for the fellowship. They're simply clouds without water carried about by the winds as to having any kind of true value to the church these men were spiritually dead and they were fruitless he says that they were late autumn trees without fruit the idea of these trees is that trees should be bearing fruit and yet like the trees that are late in autumn there's no fruit in their lives So they're twice dead, Jude says. They're dead in their own spiritual lives, but they're also dead to any kind of assistance that they would give in being able to assist the church. Jude describes here a tree that's been dead for a while, even to the point that it's been pulled up out of the orchard. It's a tree which is dead, not producing any fruit, not having any value. It's doubly dead. It's been pulled up by its fruit. These men weren't useful for anything except for the burn pile. in the normal run of things, waves of the sea, are useful. We enjoy going to the beach whenever we go to California. In fact, every time we go to California, we try to make at least one day to the beach. And it's enjoyable to be there and enjoy the waves. In the normal run of things, the waves of the sea are the things that are responsible for forming and changing the shorelines. In the normal run of things, waves are beautiful to see. In the normal run of things, uh, those that enjoy even surfing uh, in, enjoy the waves. But that's the normal run of things. But that's not what Jude is speaking about here. What Jude is speaking about here are these raging waves. The kind of waves that even a die-hard surfer wouldn't even attempt to go out to. These are waves that, again, they foaming up in their own shame. Waves that are totally useless and, as a matter of fact, can be very dangerous, destructive, and damaging to life and to property. And yet beyond that, Jude speaks of that foam of these waves. The foam being the revelation of the shame of these men's lives. By the very activity of these men, within the fellowship they display their own shame by the destruction that they bring to the individuals, to the families, and perhaps even to the whole fellowship. There's no doubt that Jude, as he wrote this, was reminded of the words of Isaiah the prophet. Isaiah in chapter 57 verse 20 says, But the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. Casting up mire and dirt, Jude says foaming up their own shame. These are the results of these raging waves, the results of troubled sea, the results of these ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. The last of the natural world illustrations that he uses here. Jude speaks of, they're like wandering stars, and there's a lot of debate about what he means by the wandering star. The Greek word that he uses is actually planetes, and planetes is directly where we get our word planet, But a direct translation of it means wandering or erratic. And the reason that came about is early stargazers, as they would look up in the heavens, they could see the the set course of, of all the stars and how they would continually be the same, yet only slightly changing through the year. But the, you, could, you could chart your course by these stars. The north star was always to the north. The rest of the star patterns would go around. But then in the midst of that, they would see these wandering stars. That One night they're here, the next night they're over here, the next night they're down and they're wandering. And so they called actually the planets at that time, before they knew that they were planets, they called them wandering stars. But yet I believe also that when we look at the balance of this statement, where Jude says, for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever, I believe with a lot of others that Jude isn't speaking about the wandering planets. I believe that what he's speaking about are like asteroids or comets or meteors. Because they're there for a while and they, they get our attention for a while. And Some comets we've seen even during our lifetimes that really get our attention for a while. But then they fade off into darkness. They fade off into blackness. Some nights uh, you've stood looking at the sky and suddenly a meteor comes and you can see it. And then all of a sudden it fades off into blackness and darkness. Never to return again. I don't think it matters too much whether Jude is speaking about the planets or meteors, but I think that the result is the same. These stars or these planets, they couldn't be counted on to chart your course because they were moving all the time. There was no stability to them. They were too erratic. No sailor or sea traveler could depend upon these wanderers. Why? Because they would lead them astray possibly even to that blackness of darkness forever. After fully and completely describing both from Old Testament illustrations, from illustrations from the natural world, then Jude declares that there's going to be great judgment on these men who have crept in, who are bringing destruction into the body. Listen to what he says in verse 14. He says, Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also saying behold the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him everything we know about Enoch Biblically, actually only comes from three sections of Scripture. We've got a short portion there in Genesis chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 11 mentions him in one verse, and then Jude's reference to him here. We don't have, biblically, any writings of Jude at all. Or, I mean, of of Enoch at all. Jude makes clear that this Enoch that he's speaking of is the seventh one from Adam, the one from Genesis that we look at.
0: In this day and age in which we live, it's easy to get distracted by everything that's going on around us. The hustle and bustle of life tends to keep us from the things that are truly important as followers of Christ. While there's simply no substitute for the personal reading of God's Word, programs like The Open Word are huge blessings that God uses in the discipleship of countless people. We want to be sure that you're utilizing all the resources available to you. Remember, you can subscribe to The Open Word Podcast at TheOpenWord.com or search for The Open Word in the iTunes Store. The Open Word Podcast is always available and completely free. If you're like most people, you probably use a smartphone. Once you subscribe to The Open Word Podcast, you'll always have solid Bible teaching available to you anywhere, anytime. So log on to TheOpenWord.com and subscribe to The Open Word Podcast. Again, for more information about The Open Word, Calvary Chapel, Casa Grande, or to access the archive of messages, log on to TheOpenWord.com. Well, that's all the time we have for today. We invite you to join us again for the next study of Pastor David's teaching through the book of Jude. That's next time on The Open Word.